Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist podcast. The Pixler, not the Pixelist, the <laughs> podcast about all the nerdy things we enjoy. I'm Will. That's Blake. Today we're here to talk some Critical Role. Ooh, baby. Ooh, talking baby. Critical Role. How you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. And for those of you that are like, whoa, our boy Blake looks extra good today. He had a <laughs> he had a bit of a camera upgrade, so he's making me yeah. look bad. Teeny tiny camera upgrade. We're, it's like a super like jerry-rigged setup right now. Um, so it's only going to get better, really. But anyway. Yeah. So I, I may I may have to see if I can, you know, not carry my weight here and maybe improve. But we'll yeah. see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so today we're here to talk about some critical role. I'm excited because, you know, this is uh, I always feel extra amped up when we're coming back from, you know, the, the longer right. breaks at the end of the right. month that they sometimes do. So super excited uh it was a great episode i mean this isn't really the portion where we talk about our thoughts but lore heavy episodes so really excited to kind of dive we're suckers for lore we're we're big lore junkies so anytime there's like anytime matt gives us like just a teat of lore drippage we are just um i don't know if that was like too far of a descriptor (laughs) by the way (laughs) but we are shamelessly just uh we really enjoy that so um, yeah, it was a really lore happy, lore heavy episode. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, man, me too. And, um, I guess without much further ado, we'll jump right into it. Uh, the only thing I even have to announce, feel free to jump in. If you've got something I'm forgetting is just sure. another reminder that we are doing a little giveaway when we hit a thousand YouTube subscribers. I actually haven't looked recently. I said, I think we're maybe 20, 30 away. Um, so coming up quick, uh, all you gotta do is subscribe and earn yourself a potential copy of Taldoy Reborn and maybe some dice or something. I mean, we, yeah, I think we're gonna do like a cool dice set. We said something about that. Yeah. So which D and D beyond did a free dice set also. And my wife was like super excited. And then she found out it was like the digital dice set. Oh, she was like, (laughs) yeah, she was like, oh, (laughs) oh, so no coffee. And then she was like, I guess in hindsight, I was wondering how that would be profitable for them to <laughs> mail out dice sets to anyone who wanted it. <laughs> That's a good point. So, um, yeah. so you know, Bye-bye. slightly less exciting, but you know, ours will right. be physical. So, right. Yeah. So, you <laughs> We're know, gonna send you a awesome digital dice set <laughs> <laughs> with our faces on it. So, yeah, uh, you know, be a so scratch goal. if you haven't subbed, you know, maybe that can entice you. If you're not a person that subs to YouTube's, I get it. I'm kind of that way. It's it's hard for a channel to earn my sub. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm weirdly reluctant about it. So if that's you, I get it. You know, no no judgment. But you know, if you're interested <laughs> you in- here first, if you're overly <laughs> hipster about how you dole out your <laughs> your limited quantity of subs, yeah, uh, we would appreciate you graciously gifting it to us. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, talk about the episode. Oh, by the way, I, I, Will and I, by the way, are also, I feel like this is so like us, by the way, of like talking recording plans and then it like never, <laughs> it never shows up again. Yeah. <laughs> but we are talking about like other content to put on the channel. Like we have done a lot of Marvel stuff. We've done a lot of Critical Role stuff. We've done a little bit of D&D stuff. We're talking about also maybe doing some general like game discussion, like game controversy, drama, uh, not even just drama, but just like interesting things in the pixelist world i guess um that yeah. we might want to talk about um i do think it'd be cool to have like a dnd like dm series or something like you know yeah. tips from a dm how do you deal with an obnoxious player or <laughs> i don't <Yeah>. know <laughs> but anyway 
Now that we've mentioned it, you can know we're never going to do it. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I guess if, if y'all have any ideas and stuff in that vein that you'd like to see, definitely please let us know in the comments. Yeah. Because um, we're well, all ears. Having said that, let's talk about what happened on episode 29 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role. And if you're not familiar with our recaps, maybe you're checking out the episode for the first time. What we like to do is we like to do a very brief recap, as brief as we can, you know, for four hours plus of content. And then what we do is we take that recap and we cut it out, put it at its own video so that if you're just trying to catch up, you can check that video out. Um, if you're on that video and you want to hear our general thoughts, reactions, theories, uh, or you want to contribute your own thoughts and theories, click on the link below to get our full discussion and let us know in the comments, not just what you thought of the episode, but also some of the crazy um, insights that you might have uh, for the show. So having said that, episode 29 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role, I'm going to do my best to recap this well. Um, there was so much, there was so much lore in this episode. This was yeah. like definitely like probably one of the heaviest episodes in term of, terms of lore. Yep. So I do have some notes up. Uh, Will, definitely feel free to jump in if I miss something. Um, only because the episode moved very quickly in terms of um, there was a lot of breadcrumbs of details as well. Yeah. So episodes opens up with where we left off. There's Birdie uh, and Fern being grabbed by uh, what we come to find out is you. It's a changeling from the Feywild. Uh, and they go by you, like why you? And uh, Birdie's like, you know, you left, you let him right towards us. And immediately it's sort of like this um, Mexican standoff type moment of like, who's going to act first? Like what's going to happen? And there's there's really just a little bit of chatter. Um, you's immediately uh, casting shade on Birdie, uh, being like, you can't trust her. She's lied to you. Um, you know, like really trying to turn Fern even against Birdie. And Birdie is saying really the same thing back. Like this person's here to kill me. They're from the unseelie courts, like you can't trust them. And then also like in general, people are, are kind of like, okay, we know, okay, we don't like that you've been lying to us, but we also don't know what's going on with Birdie. Um, and in kind of like the craziness of what's happening here, there is a moment that I'll go ahead and mention, and actually there's going to be combat that happens in this episode, but Imogen actually does um, cast detect thoughts on Birdie and gets a whisper from Matt. And that immediately leads to her being knowledgeable and insightful on uh birdie knows ira the nightmare king and so there's there's some you would think that the group would just be like oh use the baddie let's help birdie but actually there's the party's definitely torn so there's you know accusations getting thrown um people are asking birdie for an explanation like what's going on birdie actually reveals that fern we thought it was imogen this whole time it might still be Birdie reveals that Fern is Ruidus born, that, you know, years ago was born under, under the red surging moon, uh, and that also for about seven years now, the Feywild, which you could only ever see Katha in the Feywild, that the red moonlight of Ruidus has been shining through and uh, has really unsettled the Callaways. In fact, it's caused the Callaways to really have these, these bad omens of something that is to come. Uh, and it's actually also what caused them to leave the Feywild 
Um, I don't want to steal any like the greater descriptions of, of the second half that she um, explains will, but um, basically long story short, they stole the moon tide crown from the unsealed court and they've been on the run for the last six years. Um, there's also a revelation that it actually has been as many years as, as Fern thought it has happened in the sense of like for her, it has been 90 years versus uh, the six for birdie. Both of those seem to be true. And there's this weird realization that Birdie's actually younger than Fern. Birdie's only 50 years old. Um, I think Fern is 112, maybe, or yeah. something to that regard. So that's a really weird, like, wait a second, I'm older than you kind of moment. Yeah. Um, all this to say, combat begins. Uh, Birdie actually tries to go invisible, but you successfully holds on to Birdie. Um, Birdie will slip by, um, but Ashton and maybe FCG, they bar the doors to keep Birdie from leaving. Like they're like, they're like, we're going to figure this out and talk this through. Uh, and there's some blows that are had. Um, Fern attacks you, um, Orem, uh, actually disarms you at one point and then holds, use blade, uh, against them. Um, Mr. Gets summoned. Uh, there's all sorts of like random attacks that happen and, all this to say, um, the party is basically trying to actually de-escalate and talk this through. Uh, and there's even a point where Imogen just flatly announces uh, or asks Birdie, hey, how do you know the Nightmare King? And Birdie's like, oh, uh, and it's kind of like this moment of like, oh, well, um, you know, he's, he's just helping us out. Like he's helping us build something. And then I think it's either Ashton or Imogen says like, well, you know, he's sacrificing children, right? And they're like, ooh, yeah, I didn't know that. But, you know, hey, he was probably doing work for someone else. Like, we've all been, like, you know, trying to get cash together for uh, this project that we're building. Um, and all this to say, uh, Imogen really pleads with Birdie to put down her sword and says, like, hey, you're the only one who's, like, really um, looking bad here, uh, which you would think it would have been you. But um, they basically, they do have a ceasefire. Um, they decide to talk it through. Birdie reveals something that we've been wondering, and that is that in a month, in a month's time, is an apogee solstice, which, you know, there's a solstice that happens, but then there's like a, the best way to think of it is like sort of like a mega solstice uh, that happens yeah. only once every hundred and something years. Like or 120, I think. Something yeah, like 120 years. Well, it's happening in one month's time, uh, which if you've seen Calamity, this is a big deal. Yeah. And they are really trying to finish building whatever they're building soon enough uh, before the solstice happens. You sort of accusingly says like they're trying to like maybe blow up the moon. <laughs> um, <laughs> all this to say, Fern actually pickpockets you and gets this corrupted mirror of some kind. And you basically like, hey, don't point that at anyone or it's going to be bad news. And you also says like, hey, uh, you're also going to have a lot of other assassins coming after you. Just FYI. Chenny basically says, well, um, if you give us a month's time just to sort all this out, to figure all this out, we'll hand the Moontide crown back over to you. And you're pretty much like, okay, deal. Like, I will kind of continue to pass along breadcrumbs of information to my boss and sort of stall. But in a month's time, uh, I'm coming back for the crown and you better have it ready for me. So, um, Will was were there other details that I mentioned from this first half? There was a lot. There was sure. a lot. I think you hit the the main strides, you know, for the purposes of this recap. But it was kind of a lot happening, and a lot of it boiled down to like getting to the ceasefire moment, you know. But yeah, I think you did good. 
Right. Um, there are also uh, there are also also some other cool flavor moments of you like turning into different characters of the party. Um, <laughs> you actually turns themselves into what they describe as a hot half elf and try yes. to convince Orum to Get like put down the sword. And Orum's like hard pass. He, yeah, um, he's not amused by it. Yeah, you actually turns into Imogen at one point when Ladna strikes you and is like, "Why would you hurt me?" Um, <laughs> so a lot of kind of cool flavor moments like that. And then um, also Birdie does mention that they're meeting up with someone, uh, a goblin in uh, Basaros uh, known by um, Hondir. Hondir? Hondir. Hondir, yeah. Um, and basically when once everything's settled um, and you moves on, they Birdie basically says, yeah, all right, let's go meet my friend Hondir. So that's for the most part what happened in the first half. I apologize if I missed, missed a key detail only because there was so much. Um, but yeah, we'll, I don't think you we'll, did. Okay, cool. Well, let's hand it off to Will. You can cover the second half, which has even more <laughs> crazy stuff. Yeah. So again, forgive me. Whole bunch of lore here. You know, I'm gonna try to be brief, but you know how it goes sometimes. So <laughs> we pick back up, and Birdie is leading the party to Hondir. Um, and we find out that Hondir is laying low because he recently got into it with some people, and you know, basically very on edge and secretive. So they make their way to like this storm cistern and Birdie notices like a mark that denotes like, okay, this we're in the right spot. And they head to a nearby shed and then to a trap door inside, <clears throat> excuse me, inside said shed. Um, after reassuring Hondir that all the footsteps he can clearly hear, because usually it's just Birdie that comes to visit right. him. So he's like on edge. He's like, I can hear there's a ton of people with you. Like what's going on? Right. Um, but she reassures him and uh, basically everyone goes inside, but, not before Hondir mentions, like, hey, I have this whole place rigged to explode. So any funny business and we're all going to die. Um, <clears throat> so they're like, okay. They make their way down. And this basement is kind of like this little sanctuary. It's stocked with books and food, um, but also explosives and crossbows rigged, like, up with ropes pointed at the doorway. Like, this guy is definitely, you know, on edge. Um <clears throat> So they get down to business, get to talking, and basically we break down with Hondir and Birdie basically explaining what they've been up to. Um, big lore dumps here. Um, again, trying to be brief, but uh, it's revealed to the party that there are these things called ley lines and nexus points. Um, basically these like ley lines of magical energy uh, across the, the planet, across Exandria. Um, and with these ley lines, uh, you can do very powerful magic, like doors can open to other realms, rituals are more potent, um, et cetera, et cetera. And if you've seen Calamity, you kind of have a gist of this already. Um, yeah, like we know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he reveals that historically, these ley lines can be rewritten during celestial solstices, and they've been rewritten many times during Exandria's history. And like Blake mentioned, uh, he reveals that the next solstice, this Apogee solstice, is about a month away. And so what they've been working on is this device that they can use to hopefully tap into that energy. Um, and this work they're doing puts them at odds with many people. Uh, of course, you know, we have the Unseelie Court, who is after the Calloways. Um, but there's also just political powers and other powers that be that also want to utilize this energy and so they are basically directly at odds with all of these parties hondir uh reveals that he studied at the eos seminary and his work there is what led him <clears throat> to believe that this next 
nexus of this ley line energy is going to be somewhere in the Hellcatch Valley. Um, as they were researching this, they actually got like shut down. Like some parties that be wanted that research, you know, mixed. And so the researchers had to continue in private. Um, around about this time, Orem asks about the Grim Verity and Hondir reveals that he is in fact a member. Um, Orem then tells him about the assassination of, uh, the attempted assassination of Keyleth uh, at the Arashari and how those assassins came and mm -hmm. also brings up the Loomis twins and how they were assassinated. And, right. um, Hondir, you know, reveals that, yeah, he knew the Loomis twins. They were more recent members of the Grim Verity and their excitement basically drove them to do things they shouldn't have been doing. Uh, they left a trail that ultimately got them killed, um, and he knows that, or Hondir knows that these Grey's assassins have been killing like a ton of the Grim Verity's members. I think he mentions maybe half of them have right. been assassinated right. by these people. Um, but he does say that he doesn't think uh, Keyleth is a member of the Grim Verity. So he's unsure of necessarily who these assassins are targeting. So even though half of the Verity has been eliminated, um, he's not sure of their the assassin's ultimate plan here. Um, so anyway, how did the Calloways get in on all of this? Uh, and Blake touched on this a little bit, but Birdie basically reveals that, you know, on one of her and Ollie's excursions to Exandria, they gave birth to Fern in the Verdant Expanse under the light of Ruidus. But something weird happened. Like right when Fern was born, there was a Ruidus flare, as we've come to know them, where the brilliant light like filled the sky. Uh, this actually obviously caught their attention. So Ollie and Birdie started asking around about Ruidus, finding out about Ruidus-born people and these legends that kind of surround them. Um, as they, you know, were diving more and more into this, Ollie actually began to have some dreams uh, of Ruidus, of the moon following them. And, you know, as Blake mentioned, it began to appear in the Fey realm and Ollie would have these dreams of Ruidus basically destroying the Feywild and everything in its path. So freaked out by this they take this information to the Sealy court and they're basically just not taken seriously um so they have to continue investigating on their own and they do find that indeed ruidus has appeared in the feywild when it normally does not but it is concealed it's not just visible from anywhere in the feywild it's only visible if you go into like the darker areas and they come to find out that the unseely court and some exandrian people are kind of maybe intentionally hiding this and they're working on some device um surrounding all of this so they talk to the unseely court and they are basically not taken seriously by them either so what birdie and ollie decide to do is steal a piece of this device that they're working on with the hopes being that it slows whatever they're trying to do down uh, and this piece that they stole is the moontide crown and ever since they stole that, that's why they've been on the run. That's why you is after them. Um, and now they are trying to build their own device uh, with the help of Ira to ultimately try and hopefully find a way to do something about Ruidus. Um, <clears throat> Imogen asks, wait, so you saw the Unseelie Court people talking with Exan like, I guess Exandrians is the best way to put it, but like not sure. Feywild people. Right. Um, and they come to find out that Odohan Thol was one of these people. Uh, and so, you know, Imogen obviously kind of tells how she knows of her. And they're just trying to piece this together. Um, right. And Hondi reveals another fact, a facet to all this as well. 
um, that the Grim Verity had actually discovered texts in Vasselheim, and they, they stole these texts, that dated back to the founding uh, that had no mention of Rudis, only Katha. So Rudis was not always there. Mm-hmm. Um, these texts also refer to two gods that do not exist, are not mentioned in the current pantheon. Um, and so that's kind of weird. Uh, and again, these texts were stolen. So the Verity has angry people at them for that too. So basically Hondir and the Verity at large are basically getting it from all directions. And that's why he's being, you know, so on edge and secretive. Um, uh, Hondir doesn't know who these two deities are. The information has been very like kind of safeguarded. He also doesn't know who has the text right now, but he believes they're in Eos. Um, Imogen then brings up how her mother was Rudis born and asks if Hondir knew her. And he says he does, in fact, know Liliana as she was part of their studies, the same study that uh, Imogen originally was researching at the start of this campaign in that book that the uh, Loomis twins checked out. Um, and he describes how her mother was a special Rudis born. Like there are Rudis borns and then there are like special Rudis borns. And he described how she had these powers similar to the same ones we know Imogen to have. Um, Imogen reveals that she has these same powers and Hondir basically says like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they're like, why are you sorry? And he's like, cause you know, this means you're definitely connected to everything that's happening and what's coming. Um, so he basically views it, views it as a very bad thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> they then, uh, kind of discuss the party discusses their ire for Ira and like, they just like, how could you work with this guy? You know, he's a bad dude. You know, he's probably going to turn on you. And Bertie's like, you know, we just didn't really have a choice. He was the only one that, like, one, believed us and two, had, like, the knowledge and willingness to help. Um, they then kind of talk about this time decri- discrepancy of the six years and 90 years. And uh, Bertie is like, yeah, I mean, Maury is, like, the lord of her domain. And it's definitely within her power to have kind of dilated the time that way um you know many people know better than to walk into her domain uh and so she believes that maury had something to do with that um then they're like okay well what's next and they're like we should go to the callaway hideout uh we want to take a look at this machine you and ira are building uh so let's take the crawlers to get there a little bit faster um so boom we need to head back to joe's to see if our crawler is repaired so they do that. Meanwhile, uh, Birdie and Hondir are like gathering their things up because he's like, I got to get out of here. It's too hot. Not hot as in like temperature, but like too many people are after him. <laughs> uh, so they decide to meet back at Taldori, uh, Taste of Taldori, once they get the uh, the crawler back. They do that, kind of figure out uh, who's going to ride with who, and then they set off. But then they quickly remember, oh, crap, we forgot <laughs> Hondir. So they turn around, go back and get Hondir. And then go back. And that's where the episode ends. Whew. That was episode 29. What happened? Uh, again, check out the link below if you're just on the recap. Lot to talk about. And uh, check out our full discussion. And let us know your thoughts in the comments as well. So Yeah, please do. And a little cliffhanger for anyone watching this recap video. Blake, I actually got some juicy lore to share as well. So you do that's where, that's where i'm gonna cut off the recap so oh, make okay. people you know have a little cliffhanger but yeah should have been a thumbnail of you going who i mean going huh? <laughs> we, uh, uh, that yeah. could be our thumbnail today <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> uh but yeah uh, i do crazy episode 
Um, so much information, man. I had to go back and watch a few of those sections a couple times. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Orem at some point was like, this is so much. Like, <laughs> yeah, there were a ton of breadcrumbs. Not even, I mean, full on loaves of bread. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that works either, but I like it. I like it. Uh, lot of stuff, man. Um, I didn't even know where to start, by the way. Um, we have a lot to parse through today. So Yeah, I mean, I guess really quickly, I think this you know, maybe we shouldn't even have this section anymore, but what do you think about it? I'll go ahead and answer really quick. Yeah, thumbs Loved up. Loved it. I mean, we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we love the world building. We love the lore. So I, especially after a two-week break, this was, you know, I love this episode. Yeah, and we talked about, like, I didn't know how they were going to handle, like, like what's going to happen. Um, and we had a lot of ideas and yeah. uh, I was pretty satisfied with how everything played out. Um, for me, if I'm a player, I, it feels tidy to me. Um, so um, I do like how everything played out. Um, um, but dude, like having seen Calamity, like the implications of solstice. solstice, I'm just like, bro. We, and we've, we've said it on the, on the podcast. I think a lot of people have like, theorize that that is what this upcoming solstice is going to be mm -hmm. um it was nice to get confirmation um and it's nice to get a little tie-in from calamity yeah so. which you know i think it goes to show they know like they know what they're doing you know like it's cool to know that they're like that deep with the the right. the plotting for lack of a better word um you know i'm sure that when they realized they were going to do calamity they were like man it'd be so cool with you know, we kind of had this tease of an Apogee Solstice story, and that's like kind of leading to a similar occurrence in C3. Um, right. But yeah, uh, real quick on the, because I forgot how we did speculate what we thought was going to happen, you know, at the at the end of two weeks ago now, uh, when you grabbed Burn and Ferdy, we were like, is it going to be combat? Is she going to teleport out? I actually thought right. it was a really cool, uh, I don't know if subversion is the right word, but subversion of at least my expectations that you was just like, the chill one and like uh, like you know i'm not attacking anybody right um i thought that was a really kind of cool angle to take at it and just kind of shows you know the the gray not black and white of like oh birdie's the good guy use the the bad guy you know so yeah and it definitely didn't play out that way you're right right i mean, I, I agree completely it was like a nice and again imogen or whoever it was that was like hey you're the one you know basically like hey you're the one working with the dude who killed a bunch of kids so <laughs> like yeah we don't know about you um, <laughs> so yeah i did like how it wasn't like overtly like you know use the bad person now you know but instead it was like yeah like what is what does this look like now so yeah and uh, that that whisper she got from matt it was just a roller coaster one it was just like so long but just like watching her face as he was telling her stuff was hilarious <laughs> Yeah, I was in my head. I was like playing out like it being like five minutes long. <laughs> Someone else being like, and Sam's like doing like, and also on D and D Beyond, you can. <laughs> it's like, have you seen this feature? But yeah, no, the whisper was really great. Um, again, I don't know where to start. I mean, I have so many like random thoughts. Um, speaking of subversion, like I love that Fern was revealed to be Rudis born. Yeah, yeah, you know? which. Yeah. Okay. We let's. I guess let's just start with Fern and stuff. Um. But oh, actually, since we were talking about the Apogee Solstice really quick, um, I don't have the dates in front of me, but it's it's roughly like eight forty three, eight forty six PD is like the year, um, which, uh, that dating 
or yeah, dating started basically after the calamity because um, it's post divergence. Right. Post divergence, um, yeah. Which, if I think apogees are about 120 years apart, so that checks out because you know I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure that the PD dating didn't happen day one after uh, Asmodeus pops out. Uh, so 843 or whatever it is, is just like a couple years either direction off the seventh 120 year mark um, for what we yeah, know to be between Apogee Not to get too in the weeds, but like the, um, I can't do the right phrasing, like the, um, the mythic, uh, implication of the number seven, you know, like it has obviously like, there's a lot of like, like biblical, um, ideology around the number seven. And so yeah. I don't know if Matt, I mean, we just said like, this has all been intentionally curated. The fact that it's the seventh one for me even makes it like, we already know the apogee solstice is a humongous event that mm-hmm. happens, but the fact that it's the seventh one, I'm kind of like, Ooh, maybe it's even, maybe there's like a, an apogee plus solstice <laughs> oh yeah yeah like okay yeah i'm with you so i don't know <laughs> yeah so i i like that actually um like an even more powerful one uh Maybe. speaking Which, of seven it would go ahead. Or go ahead i didn't i mean i'm just i'm just gonna i was just gonna say you know um i keep wanting to call him hodnir by the way <laughs> but um him mentioning that the ley lines have been rewritten several times. Yeah. I'm just curious what other major, we don't have no idea, but I'm just curious like what other major factions have manipulated the ley lines for their own benefit in the last 800 years. Right. Uh, Me too. So, I mean, like maybe like the founding of certain major empires has been related to it. Like, I know it's not like, you know, it's not like going back to the future and like, you know, you know, the winning lottery numbers, but if there's a way to manipulate ley lines to somehow, you know, take power or um, consolidate power, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, we, we know that um, that's what Vecna was trying to do. It wasn't an apogee solstice. It was just like a normal one. But he was using that energy to try to ascend to godhood. So, um, yeah, I don't know if the process of that would have rewritten the ley lines or not, but mm. um you know, I could have been a number of things beyond just like the grand scale of what we know they were trying to accomplish a calamity. Right. Um, right. So yeah, I'm curious what, too. What, what were you going to say though, before I jumped oh, in? I was just going to say, speaking of seven, um, it's also interesting because we know that seven years ago is when Ruid has started showing up in the Fey realm, which yeah. when Fern was born, which what's interesting is seven years ago is when campaign two ended. And there were some certain things that kind of happened at like the climactic event of that campaign that aren't like, oh, that's definitely aligned here, but it could be um, without without getting too spoilery, at least now, if it seems like it's going to be maybe more relevant, maybe we'll dive into it at this point. Yeah. I don't, it's just like a pipe kind of connection. Uh, yeah. So I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, but yeah, it's just a coincidental timing that that's kind of when the events of campaign two the end of campaign two were happening is tied to when Ruidus is starting to appear in the Fey realm. Um, mm-hmm. So more of just another kind of weird number seven coincidence I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Did the adventures of campaign two doom our world in some way? <laughs> That's what I'm I, I mean, they, you know, again, I don't want to get spoilery with it, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I also kind of wonder the implications. It it sounds like not just the unsealed court or the Paragon's call, but presumably, you know, whoever's controlling the Gray Assassins and what else other factions there are, like, you know, whoever shut down the uh, study in EOS, which these could all be relinked in some way, but... Presumably, if there are a number of factions who are aware of the massive implications of this upcoming solstice, I also kind of wonder, surely, like, aren't, aren't like the campaign one heroes, like, pretty, pretty worldwide, like, well-known, like, massive celebrities, like, in the hero space? Like, are, are they going to pop up again? Like, it seems I like mean- kind of a big deal. I, I agree. I you know the these solstices weren't like a big thing ever until, I mean, like I said, Vecna. We know Vecna to have like that's what he was using, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't like a big thing that was ever brought up before Calamity, really. So it's not as if like specifically the characters from Campaign One realize necessarily that it's about to be an Applegee solstice and things might go down. Like that might be just yeah. something they're not aware of. Um, but yeah, for. To our knowledge, they're all still alive and and kicking. Uh, Keyless especially, which she's already been brought up a bunch this campaign, but yeah. she, as a high level druid, ages very slowly. So like she basically is the exact same as when we last left her. Whereas other ones might be kind of old and you know out of their prime, yeah. let's say. But yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, it seems like we're definitely at least going to have an interaction with Keyless at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because of Orum, if nothing it- else. It that's kind of what I'm getting at. It kind of feels that way. I mean, she's definitely the the easiest tie-in, I guess. Um, and I even wonder, like, we might even see like a Sean Gilmore. I mean, that'd be cool. And, I mean, I'm even, XU. Well, I'm actually tying it back to that. The the realization of the Apogee Solstice. Like, we've been we've. And if, if, apologies, guys, if you've only been watching Campaign Three, there there have been breadcrumbs that have happened in EXU that have. We've talked about like, is it an apogee solstice? Is something big happening? Because there's been past characters who've been involved with other events worldwide in Exandria, well, in Taldore, um, which you know, Will we talked about? Um, uh, oh man, what's it called? Like the Prophet uh, in um, the Tetrarch in uh, um, uh, Thank you, Nirdalpak, who basically is like. There's bad. There's a bad omen with Ruidus. Like there is, and I can't remember if they worshipped Ruidus. Well, they had an appreciation, I guess, for the Katha and Ruidus. Um, but something's coming. We also had the the um, Ono Plateau um, yeah. with the the fire. I almost said Infernal. It wasn't Infernal. It was just a fiery sigil. Um, and all of these comments of like something's coming, something's happening, something's pressing through. Dude, these things are all feeling like it's coming to a head and neat and tidy, you know, in, in as neat a tidy way as you can. But since Sean Gilmore was involved in the EXU adventure, yeah, it does make me want. He's he's clearly somehow aware of things that are happening. Um, I just wouldn't be surprised to see him. Yeah, and he was taking initiative to investigate these things, which is right. Like he, if you didn't watch EXU, he basically sent the the party of EXU on this mission to figure out more about what was going on here. So clearly, he is interested, and we don't know how those threads have played out, but seemingly, you know, that's not something he's just going to be like, oh, never mind, you know. So I'm sure, and we he 
that's a great candidate for maybe somebody we pop up because maybe it's somebody that's also trying to piece this together right now. Um, but on the, on the subject of, uh, like Vox Machina, I think while we may see Keyleth, maybe we'll see if we go to Whitestone, maybe we'll, you know, see some of them. Um, I do know that Matt like doesn't ever, like he wouldn't ever want, like, it's not as if Vox Machina is going to come in and save the day. You know, like, cause right. that would yeah. rob, of, you know, story. Yeah. yeah. So right. I think we may like see them, but it's not going to be that type of situation where it's like, oh, we got to go recruit all the members of Vox Machina to take on the big bad, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, yeah. Like Sam Regal is talking like, are you FCG right now or Scanlon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I mean, I, you, I mean, even kind of, I don't know if it was a, a joke or not, but you said like, yeah, maybe we go to Whitestone, but um, it feels like this story, I mean, we know we had the breadcrumb that the Apogee Solstice is, um, this nexus point is focused in Marquette, or it's, which for the, our listeners, when the Apogee Solstice happens, this is the place where um, I guess that energy is at its strongest. Maybe it's yeah, how he articulated it. Or something. Yeah, so that's in Marquette it's it's they're here um so we at least know for the next month presumably um they're going to um you know be focused here here's something i will say um i was thinking about what is now going to happen from now till a month from now two questions one how quickly do you anticipate that time passing in real life like game time um like could this be like the climax you know, a hundred episodes from now, or are we talking maybe 20 episodes from now And two, these other, um, story threads, how well do you see the party actually pulling and following, following those knowing like how seemingly massive the implication of this plot thread is? Yeah. So, uh, I'll take those in, in order here. So the first one of, like how long in real time do I think until this month in game time happens? It's hard to say. I don't think it's, I don't think the month from now is going to be the climax of the campaign. I think that's, that's far too soon for that to be happening. Um, but that being said, it might be a couple months like in real world time until that month passes. There's, there's this thing in campaign two <laughs> called traveler con. And it was kind of, it kind of became a little bit of a meme uh because it was like it's in two weeks and then like four critical role episodes later it's like yeah it's in 14 days and so like you know um it might end up being something like that a little bit but i think that it won't be too long till we get there so maybe like a month or two in so like eight episodes worth maybe ish um but i do think still that this whatever rudis represents I feel like that probably is still in some form or fashion connected to what the big bad of this campaign may be, but just the solstice itself, I don't think is going to be when that happens, you know, like maybe it's sure. just the first domino that falls that leads to something later. Um, but yeah, well, you, it, it's kind of hard to say when the month will yeah. actually come. Go, go ahead, by the way, I didn't mean to jump in. No, I mean, I was pretty much done. I, the only other thing I was going to say is that depending on how much travel they do, I, I feel like that kind of depends on how fast it goes. Cause if they're not actually like traveling anywhere, then time kind of slows down a lot, you know? Cause it's like, well, right. what are we doing today in this city that we're going to be in? But if it's like, Hey, let's go to Eos. Well, it takes a week to get there. Then, you know, yeah. boom. 
So it's like uh, in my campaign that I'm playing with some friends. Um, it's been like eight weeks, and someone had the realization like this is all still the same day from like two <laughs> months ago. <laughs> That's hilarious. So anyway, they're like, "Let us sleep, please." <laughs> I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, you saw the party kind of do it. It's kind of hard. I, I guess I don't see the party being like, let's go see if we can find Dancer. Like, I think that <laughs> will happen naturally. I, it feels like now there is a level of prioritization, whereas previously it was like, sure, let's go do this. Yeah, let's go do this heist at the, you know, um, what's it called? The Astani Manor. That's not right. Um, Hydroga's estate. The Twilight um, Museum, I think, or something. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, let's go do this. Like, you know, and I don't think the party was like aimless, like, because I felt a sense of direction watching sort of the Dressar arc, if I can call it that. But I just have a hard time envisioning, like, um, hey, Ashton, let's go check out the Graymore estate. The, yeah, you know, it wasn't I like mean, this looming pressure. Right, right. And so I'm. you're even sort of seeing that, though, where the party was like, yeah, let's go. I mean, because think about the implications of this next episode. They're going to Birdie and Ollie's hideout where Ira the Nightmare King is also. Are we going to get a round two here? But but the point that I was going to I was getting at, though, was they're all getting ready to leave. And they're like, wait, aren't we supposed to be at the Paragon's call today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, that was today, wasn't it? And they're like. Well, we'll do both. We'll, you know, it'll be we'll report by evening. And I'm like, okay, like is is this really gonna be as neat and tidy as you think? But um, even like this major plot thread of Armand Treshi in the player's mind kind of fell to the backdrop of like, like, oh yeah, that was today, wasn't it? So yeah. I'm really curious to see like what transpires over this next month. Yeah, that's a great point. And to that point, I think that we maybe see a couple of smaller threads followed because they're gonna need to kill a month you know i don't think they're gonna just stay with the callaways and ira for this next month like helping them work on that machine or whatever (laughs) so they might be like let's yeah (laughs) it's like a sitcom yeah (laughs) so i think they maybe they are like let's go you know dancers in the area maybe let's explore that and so maybe they explore a couple of things and then we're with the ID being, we got to be back here in a month to yeah. see what happens here. Well, here's here's what's interesting: the airships do back in Jersar in sub one month's time. Right, right. And they and they also wanted to go to EOS. Right, so, which I, I feel like they maybe that might be one of the next things they do now that they know these these texts are maybe there, and that might be like the next puzzle piece to help them figure out what's going on with all of this as well. Yeah, um, it almost makes me wonder if Armand Treshi is going to get wrapped up maybe even by this next episode or the episode after. Because think about this. Armand Treshi is the reason they went to Basras and the reason they got engaged with the Paragon's Call, which the Paragon's Call is involved in this Moontide Crown right. Ruidus thing. So the the from like a plot device standpoint, Armand Treshi is, you know, is sort of a side point now. And so I kind of wonder right. if that'll get wrapped up even because uh, he's not really the focus anymore. Now it's the Paragon's call, and like, why? Why are they meeting with the Unsealed Court? What's going on here? Um, right. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, we'll see if they even make it back to the Paragon's call tonight, or you know, when it, whatever after they go visit the Callaways. But if they do, you know, they're kind of on like good terms with them. So I don't know what their plan's going to be. Like, are they still just going to try to like snatch Armand and just run during this meeting, or are they like? 
you know, I don't know, but it would be interesting if they do decide to go to EOS, you know, we know they got to call the airship with a little bit of advance. So if they're like, okay, we're going to snatch Treshy, get on the, the boat, we'll go to EOS, like maybe they can take him back to Drusar. Right. And maybe they'll just try to like tie that off that way. Like just right. do it whilst they're kind of accomplishing other things. But yeah, I don't know. I really am curious for how this Paragon's call stuff is going to go since they're not allies. It's not the right word, but like they're like under the pretense of joining them, you know? So it's, I feel like it's yeah. no longer a smash and grab necessarily, but maybe yeah, it still will be. For how bad the smash and grab plan was, it's even worse now knowing, <laughs> just knowing the implication of like how, like the Paragon's Call, we kind of presumed them to be like these greasy uh, like mercenaries who were yeah. just like, had some aspirations for some bigger plans, like becoming like sort of like the central like military guard of Drasar. And clearly they're involved much in much larger schemes um you know it almost feels like Drasar was kind of like a side project um so yeah i i think they can't risk they really can't risk it now um i think i think probably what's going to happen is they're going to meet with birdie and ollie uh and ira um and you know it's gonna be like an everyone hates ira kind of situation where they're just like <laughs> we just don't like you um but they don't they don't kill them or attack them and basically it's like yeah we need more information what's the that's the best way to get more information the paragons call we know they're involved in this now let's go um continue our infiltration uh, yeah so to speak um but you know then again maybe that all blows up once they see armand treshi so I don't yeah because i mean he at least some of them is going to recognize them and probably sound some alarm right. bells, you know? So yeah, I'm very interested to see how they tackle that. Um, try not to jump all over here, but with the Ira thing, uh, it's interesting. I really like, now we know why a few months back or whatever, um, he spared them, which, you know, is a right. bit, we were wondering like, Oh, Matt was just going like, some people were like, Matt's just going easy on them or, you know, this, this or that. Um, no, of course there was a reason, and now we know why. Like he literally was working with her parents. So when he's like, "Oh, you're Callaway," like, oh, "Okay, well, right. probably shouldn't kill you." Uh, right. So I like that we got some closure there. Um, and uh, yeah, I I don't think it's going to come to blows because I think you know that there's been this situation established that I think they at least will respect for the time being. Um, but I am interested to see the dynamic there of like. Right, because I'm sure they're gonna ask him like, "What were you doing for Armand? What were those kids for? Like, what's going on?" Um, so I'm interested to see those answers there. But yeah, right. I, as far as the Paragon's call, so we know Odahan is the leader, and we know that she's in Imogen's dream and was working with the Unseely Court. So clearly, she's deep in whatever's going on there. And right. as seemingly orchestrating the call to her whims to accomplish what she right. needs to. I'm just so curious about, and this, my little Lord thing that I teased is the cliffhanger. Maybe this is a good time to get into it. I'm not sure. sure. Um, <clears throat> but you know, what is going on with these ruinous people and uh, to tie Odahan and Ira together a little bit, we did. We know that she was like a war hero, right? In the Apex War, not hero is right. not the right word, but like this legendary figure yeah. in the war, right? Um, 
Birdie mentioned that Iroh was also in the Apex War and right. was very like again not hero but like you know did stuff I guess and then he's been kind of like listless ever since and kind of right. directionless. Right. So I wonder if if they knew each other or mm. or anything or maybe that's kind of both why they're all like pulling these machinations on their own ends is maybe they both found something out during the Apex War or something. Um, Because, you know, we know that Ira, for whatever reason, is one of the only people that believes the Calloways. Right. So, you know, maybe he and and Odahan both found something out about Ruidus or something during the Apex War for whatever reason. I love that insight. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. You know, both of them being exposed to something that changed them. Um, And definitely seemingly connected to Ruidus, um, which it'd be interesting how much Ruidus was involved in the Apex War. Um, involves the wrong word, I guess, but I am curious about like the connection there because we know Adahan disappeared at some point like, right. towards the end of the war and then came back. So, you know, what happened there? What, you know, what's going on there? Um, Ruidus has obviously been around longer than the Apex War. Um, right, but, but we it know wasn't always around exactly, yeah. And yeah. I love the detail that you pointed out in Calamity of Brennan Lee Mulligan. He was describing the scenery and said, You know, you see the light of the moon basically, or something to that effect. And you pointed out, interesting that he didn't say the light of the two moons, yeah. So, possibly wasn't even a ruidus during the time of the Calamity either. And if I can just take this even farther, we know there's two deities mentioned in the founding texts in Vasselheim that are no longer mentioned at all. Hmm. Yeah. Emperor Roshan, Empress Kamort, maybe. The two, uh, not deities, but two primordials sent away at the end of Calamity. Spoilers, by the way. Um, <laughs> So we know that Rashan and Kamort, um, the primordials of earth and fire, we know that the Ono Plateau, earth and fire, you oh. know, the plateau earth, fiery ashen True. sigils. Yeah. Um, Ruidus is red, fire is red. <laughs> Ruidus is a planet. The earth is a planet. <laughs> Bro, I'm just saying, it definitely seems like it's it's the two of them returning in some way. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I, I had uh, that instinct as well. I don't think it's the case anymore because of what I've found out. Son of a bitch. Well, <laughs> but here's, no, I, here's, yeah. Before you say anything, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. just joking. I don't think it's that. Right, right. No, but I, I, I think I texted you. I like We had that same idea. Um but speaking of the Onoto Plateau, I wonder if that is a nexus point. I don't know if they're that like overt, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just looking back at my texts. Um, the other thing that made me wonder was the one thing I did wonder about was um, surely there wasn't like an ascension like the Raven Queen that happened prior to her with like two other deities, right? I don't know, yeah. But if they were forgotten, so it would be like, oh, like they were the two that were replaced, is what you're saying? I'm just wondering if it's happened before and they were replaced, because we know that um, when the Matron of Ravens, Ravens ascended, 
the previous deity's name was struck was from all. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which I guess it wouldn't make sense then that there would be these names in the these texts. these texts, but it is interesting that they haven't been mentioned anywhere since. Yeah. All right. So because uh, nuzzle up by your closest fire, because it's about to be story time with Will. Okay. Uh, so this was all so just disclaimer this is spoilery because this this is from a, a critical role source book uh the Ooh. nether deep which i have not read which is why Bro, this source book keeps coming up i know we need to read it we I'm, need to read this i'm almost, also go ahead sorry i was gonna say also um one of the main ruidus born who was gifted boons Elixian. during Elixian. Yeah, he's coming who up was too. Known as the pair. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. No, no, no. I got you're my good. coffee. You're, you're good. good. <laughs> we need to read this book. This is apparently a really important source book. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'm I'm almost through Taldoe Reborn, and when I finish that, I'm gonna get that one. Um But so spoilers, because I guess without I can't say with complete certainty that just because this is what it says in the book, that that's what it's gonna be for campaign three, but I'm I'm pretty sure it is, because I think I think the books are canon to the the live stream, but some stuff is left ambiguous in the books so that people playing their home games can make what they want out of it, right? But yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure like the factual things presented about Exandria are true for the live stream. So with that being said, spoilers, if you don't if you want these things to potentially come up in the campaign itself and you don't want it to be revealed here, uh get out. Um so this is from Again, the uh, I think it's called this is the Rise of the Nether Deep. I forget the exact name of the book, but it's the source book about the Nether Deep that the most recent one that just came out. Um, so I'm going to just be reading directly from that. So <clears throat> during the founding, a time when the gods still walked the face of Exandria, the world's divine creators discovered an unidentifiable power seeping through the fabric of reality. Legends assert that this alien influence was a threat to all life on Exandria, and the gods banded together to banish it. This cancerous incursion of dark power is said to have crystallized into Ruidus, the small vermilion moon that hangs in the sky along with Katha, the world's natural moon. The gods agreed to create a tale about Ruidus to conceal its alien origin from the mortals of the world, informing them that it was a moon of ill omen and its magical influence was always to be avoided. This tale concocted by the gods was not a lie, for Ruidus's alien magic twists the fate of those who are born or embark on ventures while bathed in its vermilion light. Some eons later, a schism rocked the pantheon of Exandria, splitting the divine beings into betrayer gods and prime deities. The betrayer gods strove to ruin and dominate the world, and they battled the prime deities in a, world, a war called the Calamity. Near the beginning of this war, a boy named Elixian was born in the lands of Wildmount, at the seat of the betrayer god's power, beneath the full light of Ruidus. He was said to be cursed from birth and was viewed by suspicion from all around him except his parents. As a young man, he sought to defy his fate and distinguish himself on the field of battle. Elixian found himself embroiled in the most vicious battles of the war. He fought selflessly and begged the prime deities to help him protect the innocent people caught up in the war. Thrice he asked and thrice they answered, granting him greater and greater power. He was more than a champion of the gods, he had become the Apotheon, a noble warrior so suffused with divine energy that he was halfway to godhood himself. In those times, he wore a god-gifted amulet known as the Jewel of the Three Prayers as a symbol of his divine covenant. Eventually, the war brought the Apotheon to the great jungle city now known as Kael Moro, a utopian domain of elves and orcs. The orcs were the first generation of their kind, 
who had been transformed by the spilled blood of Grumsh the Ruiner. Might be mispronouncing that name. Although fear had reigned for a short time after they transformed, the two people soon realized they were still kin. The city was the jewel of the lush and verdant continent of Marquette, and its people gave thanks daily to Corlon the Archheart for their protection. The Ruiner despised the Archheart and swore to annihilate Kilmoro and all of Marquette with a single stroke of his spear. He strode into the center of the city, smiting all who dare raise a blade against him, and when he reached the city's heart, Grimash raised his spear to strike the earth with cataclysmic force, but his blow was intercepted by the Apotheon at the last possible second. The Apotheon's intervention kept Grimash from annihilating all life on Marquette, but the force of his spear thrust still brought the lands of Marquette to ruin. Fire raged all across the lush jungle, turning verdant beauty into blasted desert, and Kelmoral was shunted deep into the earth. Towers toppled, stone crumbled, and all trace of the great civilization was wiped from the face of Exandria. In that moment of destruction and death, the Apotheon's connection to Ruidus flared to life. A rift was torn between worlds, in which alien energy from an unknown realm and the waters of Kaelmoro's oasis mingled to produce a lightless realm of water and strange magic. There, in what came to be known as the Netherdeep, the Apotheon has been trapped for untold ages, consumed with sadness, furious over his defeat, and yearning for freedom. In time, the immortal Apotheon fell into a long and troubled slumber, in his dreams, the barren caverns of the nether deep began to shift. His memories filled the darkness, and a cocoon of melancholy formed around his body. From the heart of despair emerged a crimson element that embodied the Apotheon's power. It spread, growing and crystallizing as it moved, until all of the nether deep was suffused with its power. Centuries have passed since the calamity, and life has returned to the desert of Marquette. A grand city called Ancarel has now been built on the desert oasis, little did its founders know that the water of their oasis originated from the Netherdeep, and that beneath this new desert metropolis was an underwater cavern holding the ruined city of Kelmoro. <laughs> uh, a new form of conflict entered the story when the allegiance of Allsight, an influential group of academics in Ancarel, discovered a strange mineral in the sunken ruins beneath the city. This substance, a slick, oily stone veined with blood-like streaks, possessed unknown magical properties. The allegiance tried to keep it a secret, but news soon attracted the attention of a rival faction. The Consortium, the Consortium of the Vermilion Dream, a secret occult society obsessed with the magic of the moon of ill-omen, Ruidus, heard a rumor about the discovery of this mineral. Consortium agents broke into the allegiance of all sites excavation site in Kelmoro and learned about the discovery firsthand. They dubbed the mineral Ruidium because its red veins and mysterious... Uh, a mysteriousness reminded them of Ruidus. They continued sneaking into the excavation, hunting further and further, and discovered a planar rift within the ruins. One of their agents succeeded in getting inside, and when he returned, she claimed that he, she had entered a dark underwater realm where the walls themselves were veined with Ruidium. She managed to recover a sample, but escaped before the water's intense pressure crushed her. When that sample of Ruidium was uh, torn from the nether deep, the shock of the extraction extraction roused the dormant apotheon from his slumber all at once centuries of accumulated grief crashed down upon him and the nether deep roared with the strength of his tempestuous emotions the power that flows from the apotheon is no longer truly his own try as he might to hang on to the memory of the hero he once was he is driven entirely by his tortured emotions Throughout centuries of isolation, the dormant dreaming Elixian had hoped for someone to find and rescue him, but when mortals discovered him, they seemed interested in only stealing his power for themselves. The furious Apotheon tapped into the alien nature of the Netherdeep to cause Ruidium to slowly corrupt all who hold it. Elixian beseeched the three gods he had prayed to in ancient times, uh, Sahin the Moonweaver, Avandra the Changebringer, and Corlon the Archheart, to send heroes to save him. 
Despite being sealed behind the divine gate, the gods are able to propel the jewel of three prayers to a site where Elixion once beseeched the Moonweaver for aid long ago. The jewel materialized within a sunken temple in the Emerald Gulch near Jigao, and the gods hoped that a good-hearted band of heroes would find it, learn the Apotheon's plight, and rescue their tortured champion. The jewel of three prayers is currently dormant, waiting to be awakened by a determined hero. Bro, what the heck, dude? <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Bro. Dude, I feel like we just got like the cheat code for like the rest of campaign three. Like, right? Oh uh, my gosh. Como in the Discord pointed this out because we were talking about just the episode. And he was like, Yeah, Netherdeep, they talk a lot about Elixir. And I was like, What? Tell me more. And so he shared these uh these pages from Netherdeep with me. So shout out to Como for bringing this to our attention. But yeah what the heck man that's a lot of answers right. that we've so, just been yeah. speculating about help, help me parse this all back through okay yeah so that was a so, lot sorry for the long monologue yeah, so the apotheon um elixir elixir yeah he he saves marquette in general although Kar moro Kale moro yeah Tomorrow, plummeting um, to the earth I'm thinking like witcher city names yeah yeah um gets yeah gets like plummeted beneath the earth and the strength of it is so huge, it creates like another plane. Like so, a, because of Elixian's ruidus born connection, like that energy, yeah, the the spear, the yeah, combination okay. of all that madness basically created the Nether Deep, which is like this new realm. And there's a portal now beneath somewhere in the ruins of Kalmoro, which sits underneath on Corel, which is like right the massive city in Marquette. Uh, but yeah. And what's in the water of the oasis is is, is there's ruidium. Is ruidium or okay yeah ruidium okay. yeah and the ruidium is like the mineral that's developed around the portal even in that other realm that is basically basically the apotheon as he's dreaming he's transforming the environment into um, very sad stone <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically. he's depressed that he's been alone for you know several hundred years now yeah and it apparently you know Probably maybe gone crazy from you know getting hit with the spear really hard yeah too. okay interesting yeah and okay. so ruidus wow. is an alien energy that was seeping through the fabric of reality that the gods banished hmm. and it crystallized into ruidus yeah huh and and this, I guess that happened before the schism, it said. So that was before there were betrayers and prime deities. That was just when all the, like, so all the gods banded oh. together to accomplish that. Yeah, and the so, whole uh, Roshan come more. That was so stupid. I, no, I mean, I was, I was with you though. So, I, wow. but yeah. And which is just interesting on like a, a power level ladder here, because that means like, so we know the Luxon, which I don't want to get all into that right now, but we've talked about it a bit, was like, you know, this entity that seemingly predates the gods. Um, right. And then the gods came to the world and then everything else we know happens. But now we know there's this other entity that is not the Luxon, that is not the gods. So is this other alien, let's just call, let's just call it Ruidus for the sake of being simple here. Is Ruidus like on the same level as the Luxon, you know, yeah. or yeah. like what's going on who is this alien energy and there's no mention of the two deities in what i just read there's no mention of the two deities that gives an answer to what happened to them but like what happened to them were they like did they summon 
this alien energy and so they were like banished as a result or something or i don't know yeah just spitballing here no this is really interesting um and they described it as like a like a cancerous energy like a dark energy or yeah so it or uh what it says is uh legends assert that this alien influence was a threat to all life on Exandria and the gods mm. banded together to banish it. So I guess a key phrase there, this is says legends assert. So we don't, that's not, that necessarily yeah. is not like truth. Yeah. Um, and then was there something about the iridium being corrupting or did I make that up? Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, yeah, okay. the furious apotheon tapped into the alien nature of the nether deep, AKA the alien nature of Ruidus, basically to cause Ruidium to slowly corrupt all who hold it. Yeah. I think cause he was pissed that they were just stealing that instead of, you know, helping him or whatever. So maybe Imogen's dream with Adahan and all the other people, maybe these are all people who've been corrupted. Um, maybe it's not Ruidus born individuals. Maybe it's people who've been corrupted or maybe it's both. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is, because I mean they're kind of one and the same, right? Because Elixian was Rudis born. So even though he was like a war hero, perhaps he was still being used by right. Ruidus for you know whatever well, reason. And if it's if there's like radium in the water, like could there be citizens of Ancarel who are being unknowingly corrupted? I guess potentially, right? Hmm. And it's just yeah. also uh let me see if I can find the exact phrase. Yeah. Um, this tale concocted by the gods was not a lie for Ruidus's alien magic twists the fate of those who are born or embark on ventures while in, in its light. So not that all Ruidus born people are evil. I mean, clearly we have Elixian as the perfect example of like a paragon right. of good, but people born under Ruidus's light are being, for lack of a better word, like manipulated by it. So Right. We know Fern is. It seems like Imogen probably is. Is Adahan and these people, are they all agents of Ruidus that the end game is to get this banished evil back into the world? Right. right. So many questions. And we know that Ollie had these visions and that wasn't, didn't, I think one of them, I didn't mention this in the recap, but I feel like he said Fern was at the center of it. Like, the Ruidus, you know, was in the Feywild and was destroying everything in its path. And Fern, you were in the center of it. Yeah, there was something like that for sure. Yeah, because it was like at least an implication of like why they were so interested was knowing that Fern was involved in some way. So is, is Fern like the next Elixian level Ruidus born person that is going to like maybe she can stop it like maybe that's the point of the story is that she like doesn't do it but like is she the linchpin and like the f getting this back because we tie back to this a lot recently but back to exu and dark fern like is that maybe a vision of what she could be could become if she like right fully is corrupted or something well so now i'm wondering what's the unseelie court and the paragon's call wanting to do with ruidus I mean, if the Paragon's Call is aptly named after um, Elixion, have they been corrupted by the Ruidus energy and like they're and it didn't wasn't it said that he had Elixion had woken up or something to that effect? Or? Yeah, I think he's still trapped. But I think I guess when whenever that first piece of Ruidium was stolen, it said it woke yeah. him from his slumber. But he seems still so, trapped. Yeah. So are they operating on? I mean, it sounds like he's pretty evil at this point. <laughs> You know, like I, I would um, agree, but the end of it 
which again, maybe just because it's a source book, because that's clearly like setting up a plot hook of like, <laughs> get your band of adventurers to go find the jewel of three prayers and rescue Elixian. Like that's how it's presented essentially. So it at least right. gives the hope of a redemption because it's like right. his plight. Like maybe you guys can go find that thing and help him. But right. at least for now, it does seem like he's kind of been driven mad and, you know, hmm. I don't know. Like, it's, it's a lot to unpack. Bro, the stakes just got, you know, real big. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow, this is crazy. Yeah, what a, man, what a lore drop. Seriously. Can't believe they published it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it almost feels like the party would be heading to Ancarel then at some point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, <sighs> right? I mean, headed to the Nether Deep potentially right, at yeah. some point um which are yeah. there does the source book have like modules in it by the way yeah okay so like like are there i'm just wondering like what like bad guys are mentioned in the modules that if any of them tie into our current campaign right so um i just need to order this book and just pour through it right yeah so i don't have it either uh, like i said como just kind of sent me the basically the pages I read aloud are what he sent me. So uh, I, like yeah, I like, want to get the rest the of that podcast, book. Like we spend hours talking about critical role every week and we're like, yeah, do you have that book? <laughs> we should probably get that. Listen, <laughs> I have one of our, literally all the other ones. Can one of our viewers give us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's a D20 again? Is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, shout out to Como then. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a pretty amazing insight. Um, and definitely feels like, I mean, that is the most meaningful theory that I've heard so far at this point in the campaign. Um, so, yeah, that's really interesting for sure. Yeah. And so I'm just, you know, real, again, not that rudest born people are evil because they're not inherently, but it does seem like that is, a, it is an omen. Like it is. Mm -hmm ultimately probably not a good thing to be rude as born because it means you're being manipulated by this alien energy to some extent. Um, but which, like, wasn't it, I mean, yes and no. Right. Cause like, wasn't, aren't like, they're like super famous people, like, like noble heroes, so to speak, who were rude as born. Like, I know there yeah. is an ill omen there. Um, wasn't it also mentioned the matron of Ravens was rude as born. So did this, character lead to the ascension to try to fracture the deities and maybe um i mean i don't know maybe if i mean right she like, led to the divine gate that would then keep them from keep them away directly involved and oh my gosh we just solved it Pepe right Silvia. like yeah even know. though they could maybe be good people maybe they were still unknowingly setting yeah. dominoes in order that ruidus ultimately needed to finally come back it's I don't know. It's crazy. I so we know for a fact Fern is. I'm right. Imogen has to be. Seems you know, we, that way. We don't have right. confirmation, but she has to be, especially after we know her mother was, and just like Hondir said, like she was a particularly gifted one, and we know Imogen to have those same gifts. So uh, also, she's got those lightning bolt uh, kind of scars up her arm. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Right. Uh, I forgot to mention this Como also. So we, there was a bit of a discussion happening. Um, I won't get into the whole weeds of that. 
Uh, but I originally was asking, I wonder if the gnarl rock is ruidium. And um, mm. he was saying that uh, he didn't think so because it's purple and ruidium is yeah. red. Um, but, but maybe that, there's maybe its creation is tied to ruidium in some way. Yeah, possibly. Because we also know that it corrupts just like we know ruidium too. Right. Um, but that that led us down a different path, which eventually got him to show me another page, which I don't have in front of me right now, but it basically explains like there's a corruption table level for ruidium. Like, so like mechanically explaining, like if you're, you know, this involved with ruidium, you're going to have a point of exhaustion and then level two, you know, level three, yada, yada, yada. And one of the first signs are like red streaks on your body. So to me, I was like, that sounds like what Imogen has on her arms. Now, again, Imogen's are purple. Um, so it doesn't may she have not pink be there. I think, yeah, I think she has purple hair. So dude, what if she was like, <laughs> trying to make, not make it weird, but like conceived like on a bed of roidium or something, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. maybe, I don't know. It's like really interesting or, you know, I wonder if like, so if rhodium, the like the mineral, not getting too sciencey, like the mineral side of rhodium can like seep into water and like be in water. Like, did she grow up on a farm where you know their well water was you know streaked with rhodium? I mean, I don't, well, I don't yeah. know. It's really interesting to try to parse that through. We know where she was from, but I can't remember now. Do, what? Right. Do you remember? It's in Marquette. It is. It's, yeah, it's in Marquette. So I mean, who knows? And her mom was too. So clearly, it's something you know that's been around uh yeah i don't know I just, so and also rudis isn't like getting closer right not to our knowledge i mean it has okay. those flares which we still don't really understand but right but it's not like like majority wow, like every year this thing really does get bigger <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he should but. look into that <laughs> does this bother anyone else or no <laughs> okay okay no, that's interesting. But yeah, I don't I don't think so, but yeah, that just that blew my mind. This only happened, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, it was when he shared that with me. So Yeah, I like the detail though of the gnarl rock because we know the gnarl rock corrupts anyone who touches it. Um and it makes me wonder, is Delilah Briarwood, would she want to get her hand hands on radium in some way? Um which what's What's the other stone? Oh, from Whitestone. Uh, oh, um, oh, dang it! Uh, residuum. Residuum, right? Man, we're we're big on <laughs> powerful, <laughs> powerful minerals. Huh? Unobtainium. <laughs> Actually, when you were first gonna name radium, I just was laughing because I was envisioning unobtainium. <laughs> like, oh, wow. But yeah. I'm glad you brought up Delilah because, you know, we know that, again, not that the gnarl rock is iridium. I don't think it is. But, you know, she absorbed that, you know, or she clearly took it for her own use, being like, you don't know what to do with that. I'll take care of it. And, again, we know that uh, – spoilers. I don't. This isn't really a spoiler, but Delilah's like, is dead. She exists in minds somehow. We don't really know the full story there. Uh, but we also know that – during Legend of Vox Machina, during Campaign One, they were trying, you know, with Vecna to, well, during Legend of Vox Machina, trying to like bring him back using a solstice. So Delilah is 
familiar with solstices, which means I'm sure as hell that she knows that there's an apogee coming, mm. which maybe that's what she's working toward, right. you know, like with Laudna and with whoever else she's puppeting out there. Maybe she's setting up dominoes to bring right. herself back potentially or I don't know. But I think it definitely is another shoe to drop. There's an or what's the phrase? Another shoe to drop, shoe to drop. Yeah. with her that may yeah. that may present itself during the solstice in a month. So I think that's very judgmental. She could have maybe learned the error of her ways and she's, you know, it was like, Hey, this is very dangerous. Let me absorb it. And you know, she's going to do something really good with it. You might be right. Or <laughs> maybe, you know, if it's not to bring herself back, maybe she's still trying to save her husband somehow. Maybe that's yeah. what she's operating. Yeah. Toward. Right. I was going to ask you about the Narrock. Wasn't there a, I forgot to mention in the recap, there wasn't there a detail about, like you mentioned the gnarl rock, remember? And Imogen was like instantly cast command, like stop. Um, so use use knowledgeable of the gnarl rock, and I think they ask about it. And oh, didn't yeah. you say something like you can because I thought you were saying you as in me, <laughs> and I was like, wait, what did I do? But I'm I'm caught up now. Uh, didn't you say something about like anyone who's ever encountered like the fragments? They always of the come Narwhal back, rock? or something. Yeah. What what did you? What was the phrasing there like? Because I got confused thinking like they can all like be summoned to the same spot. Like I, I took what, it to what mean did you like mean by that. I don't know, but my what I took it to mean was that that it's like an addiction. Like like you'll be back. Like oh, you're gonna yeah, wanna. Yeah. That does make more sense. You know, c- get back to it or come back to it or get back to that power type of thing. Right. Right. Okay. But yeah, I had forgotten that you. Yeah. I've forgotten that moment. So yeah, that's interesting, which yeah. I mean, if used from the Feywild, I guess it would make sense that they know about it. Um, but yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Mm. This is like total, like who's on third vibes. I know. That's does what you, I was thinking does about. you know about it? <laughs> that's, all, that's all I was thinking about uh, yeah. when that was happening. Wow. Um, it's, it's tough, man, because like, man, that reading of, from that source book just makes me like all the more eager about like, where the party's going and like what's going to happen, like the slow burn of it and just being like, man, like we've got a, the stakes feel unspokenly high in the sense of like, you know, it hasn't come from Matt directly yet. Um, but with that source book, it's going to be hard if like next episode's like a shopping episode is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we're not getting to what we just found out for a while. Cause I mean, if they're not solving this in the next <laughs> episode. I'm so gonna yeah, lose you might want to, might want to temper your temper expectations. <laughs> um, All right. Well, geez, man, that was like the big thing and the long thing. Uh, so I, I know this episode's already going kind of long. I don't know how much time you have, but there were just a couple other things I would mention, but if right, we need to end it here, that's fine. No, you can hit, hit me with it. Yeah. All right, so uh, well, one quick thing uh, while we're on Ruidus, as I thought it was cool that it was mentioned that it evades like devices uh, trying to study it, you know, like that. And so I just thought, which when I first made that note, I didn't know all the lore that I just dropped, but now it makes sense because it is seemingly some sentient alien power, right? Um, right. But I thought that was cool. And um, and what's what is the Unseelie Court Paragon's call? Yeah, what are they doing? What are they What are they building and pointing at Rudis? Which I texted you and said, you know, could it mayhaps be a spell jammer of some kind? 
um, trying to get there, which in man, Imogen's dreams with Odahan, Odahan's, well, I guess her dreams aren't necessarily taking place on the moon, but I don't know. It would make sense if Odahan wanted to get there for some reason. What I'm curious about is we know Odahan's connection because, because of Imogen's dreams. Like she's clearly a Ruidus born herself, probably. So that makes sense. But why is the Unseely court interested? Right. You know? Did, right. Is it because Odahan came to them and that, or do they have their own entry to this that we still are unaware of? Um, but yeah, what is that device for? <clears throat> What's the Moontide crown and why what, does it power it? Right. What What does that have to do with it? Um. Then, sorry, I'm going through my, oh, uh, just Morrigan, some Mori stuff I wanted to briefly touch on. We basically got confirmed that she's an Archfey. She has her own domain and she can control time. <laughs> within it. Right. And that was also in the um Tal'Dorei source book. Uh I mean it was we pretty much knew but we didn't know if it was the same one. Right. Seemingly is. We also got confirmation that Morgan's not blood related right. to the Callaways or Fern. Right. And you know people know of Morgan and basically avoid her right. seemingly Right. Um, which is why that was where Fern was stashed because they thought, you know, it'd be a safe place for. Her. So why did Morgan dilate time to spend, uh, to spend 90 years with Fern? We know that Birdie mentioned like Morgan can get like unhealthily fixated on things. So was it because she just selfishly didn't want to lose this adopted daughter she had gotten or did she need to age up Fern? Like Fern would have been a baby, right? Seven years ago, she was born. Did Fern well, need to well, become an adult? Was she born seven years ago, or it wasn't that just when they saw? Oh, I guess that is just when when they decided to leave. That's when when they, when they stole the crown. I guess. Well, seven years ago is when I, the moon started appearing in the Fae. Right. So I don't but, necessarily know the exact timing of the other stuff. Because she's she. 90 years have gone by, but she's like 112. So it's right. 22 years. 22 years old is when her parents left her. Okay. See, that's where I was unfamiliar. So I, okay. I wasn't sure if they just left her uh, as a baby. Assuming like we're not, there's not like a clunky retcon of some kind. But so um, that was said, cause that's what I missed. She's aged herself as 112. No, but the 22 year old thing, like she said, that's when she was left with Morgan. Oh, well, you're saying I've, I've 122 minus 90. Yeah, we know it's been 90 okay. years. We know it's been 90 years. True. She's 112, so she had to have been 22 when they left. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. And then when they left at the age of 22, they gave her to Morgan. 90 years passed, but for them, it was only six years. Yeah, well, what's... Yeah, Thinking what's, their daughter would be 28. Well, what's interesting not. is that she was born under the moon, and that's when right. things started getting weird, right? So it took them 22 years of like researching before they, and also if they had a daughter for 22 years, how did other people not know about it? You know, people like didn't know. I, don't know. I existed. mean, the thing that's kind of weird, it's not really clear, like the Callaway's place in the Fae. Um, yeah. Cause there's these like, yeah, there's these contrasting like points of like, we're important. We're kind of celebrities. And then like what you just pointed out, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't know that there was, a daughter named Fern. Like, yeah. So, and is that celebrity truly the Calloway celebrity or is it Morgan's celebrity that she was referencing? Cause that's really who she point. would know. Yeah. You know, like, and have grown point. up with. So maybe that's why like she was important. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, 
I mean, assuming there isn't like a clunky mistake in like, oh no, I'm not 112. I'm actually 97 or 90, <laughs> 90 or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I do still like your theory though of Morgan wanting to um, take advantage of having kind of like a makeshift daughter, you know, because we know that from Fern's stories that she had her own room, she had animals that she was friends with, like it was very fond memories. Um, so it almost seems like Morgan treated her as her own. And, uh, yeah, we know whether... she made those postcards. Like she went to the effort to. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I really like that theory of yours. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. The thing that should really make you wonder what's going on is why did, why did Morgan decide to take Fern out of this? I'm just going to call it a time bubble. Why did Morgan decide to take Fern out lead her to ultimately Alexandria. Like, why is it like you're going on a mission now? Right. And why, and why did she give her the weave lens, which right. seems to be an object that can detect magical items. So like it's, it's been, it's been 90 years and now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you need to like, go basically like find your parents. Like why, yeah, yeah, exactly. why not send just any operative to go deliver that? Exactly. You why know? did it need to be Fern? So, so that, yeah, so I'm wondering if, sorry, I was just gonna say, I wonder oh, if Morgan had like a vision or a premonition or something that spooked, spooked her and was like, oh, like this is like what Fern, what uh, Birdie and Ollie are doing. Like this really is like into the world kind of stuff. Um, you know, and if she's, if she's timey wimey, maybe she's seen the future and knows it needs to be Fern. I don't know. Like a Tony Stark kind of thing. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering if, if there is some greater plan that, you know, or you know plan for lack of a better word but maybe the 90 year age was necessary to get fern like ready like maybe you couldn't send a 22 year old to do this she's like you know like no i gotta cultivate fern first so maybe the 90 years was more than just oh i don't want to lose this but maybe it was like prepping her because yeah why all of a sudden let her go and then there's still i don't want to get into it again because we get into it every time but there's still the whole modified memory thing going on too which it might end up being that that was just a flavor kind of thing happening in the moment during exu and there's not some greater thing to uncover there but uh yeah very interested but obviously an archfey not affiliated with either court directly i'm if i recall correctly um and yeah it's just uh very, very interesting. I want to learn more about her since she's seemingly very powerful. Uh, I'm trying to find the info from uh, the Taldori Reborn source book because I want to know what they say about Morrigan. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I'll uh, I'll kind of spew a bit while you're looking that up because I had some other stuff. Um, this is just completely random and I don't actually ship this theory or anything, but Morrigan, we know, is an archfey. Powerful. And Almost, almost every time she's brought up, it feels like Fern mentioned how she's a great artist and loves to paint. So to me, for all my other people that have watched the first couple campaigns, just got me thinking about our boy Artagon, also a powerful archfey, also artistic. I wonder if they're related. Mm. Also, which I don't know if this is something all archfey can do. But we know that Artagan also had the ability to control the time dilation from when someone exited the Feywild, which seemingly Morrigan can do that. So 
That's just my crazy tinfoil hat connection for now. Um, let me know what you think. No, I like that. Um, sorry, I'm like, I, I, we talked about this forever ago, and I'm having a tough time like finding the actual, um, yeah, no worries. The actual article on it. Um, and I also wondered what, so we, we were wondering what the Unsealy Quartz device actually does. I wonder what the Callaway Ira device actually does. I mean, seemingly if they're going to point the weave lens at it, maybe they're just hoping that the weave lens gives them some information and they had just know more of what they're dealing with, but really curious as to what they hope to accomplish with whatever device they're building. Right. Man, I apologize, guys. I just I can't remember where this was. It's like I think it's like in one of the. I thought it was Taldori Reborn, but I'm not seeing it in here. Um, man, or maybe I was reading about the War Queen or something, and it pulled up more again. Or... Maybe we. Maybe you're thinking of just like the Wizards of the Coast, like normal D and D lore. I did. I did find that, but it it wasn't ringing any bells for me mm-hmm. in what I had read earlier. So I don't know if I'm like just filling in the blank with like my own like misremembrance, or if there was actually something more there. Um, but I was just really curious about. Um, I was just really curious because she's mentioned in a, I feel like in a source book, but maybe not. Well, let us know down in the comments if you know what we're talking about. And you're like, hey, morons, it's right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Okay. Interesting. Um, the only other tiny thing I had was that uh, I don't remember where they were, like, geograph- geographically. But when uh, we they were traveling in some jungle, Bell's Hells, and they found those ruins. And, you know, Imogen took a piece. I was wondering if the, and I don't really think it makes sense because, but anyway, I'll say it anyway. I wondered if those were Cal Moral ruins. Ooh, yeah. Interesting. Um, wait, Cal Moral, that's the name of the place, right? That's the place that got speared into the earth. So okay, I don't so know why ruins would be I in the jungle. Like... But... Hang on. Cal Moral. Hang on now. C A E L. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was an article on that. It might just be people updating the uh, um, wiki. In Alexandria Limited Calamity, Calamity uh, Britton Lee Mulligan mentions Kelmoro by its current name. However, at the time, the city wasn't yet called the Drowned City uh, because that is the name that was given to it by modern scholars. Um, right. So I don't even remember him mentioning that. So I'll have to check that out too. Yeah, because it wasn't called Kelmoro. That's just what, like, we call it. It had another name, but I don't think we knew it. So it was called Kelmoro, and then it's now called the Drowned City or whatever. Once it was discovered underneath on Corel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I wish I had a better, more uh, insight there, other than just say I'll have to go back and do some digging, and then maybe we'll update in a comment or something. But yeah. Yeah. So, a lot right, man. this episode, man. Crazy stuff. We'll, seems like we got an awesome episode coming up this next Thursday. I'm really excited for it. 
So yeah, me too. But you know, don't expect to find out about the alien <laughs> Rudis yet. If it doesn't happen, um, if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna riot. So um, we're at 979 subscribers. So oh, 21 nice. more. 21 more. Let's we'll go. Do our, we'll do our giveaway. So if you made it this far, you know, almost two hours deep on our recap or episode <laughs> today, um, throw us a sub if you want, and uh, we appreciate. Uh, we appreciate the shout outs and just you being part of this D and D journey with us. Um, you know, we're happy to continue making content. So thanks for yep. being a part. Uh, thumbnail. You had an idea earlier. I forgot what it was though. Remember? Uh, definitely like the mind blown. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah okay. I, that's how I'm feeling right now already. Yeah. So well, I think what was I supposed to do? Cause you had two parts. You were like doing like, you know, like oh. almost like you were like giving an insightful, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. something. Um, are you ready now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. You can check us out on Twitter at the Pixelist, And we're also on every podcast platform. If you prefer to listen to us there. Other than that, I think that's all we got. Yeah. See you guys soon. See ya. Bye, y'all.